the top players and legends to the very best analysts around the world from wherever the beautiful game is played. This is BTP. Now, we're talking football. Yes, hello folks, welcome to Beyond the Pitch, another Beyond the Pitch BTP CFB production. I am delighted to be joined here as my regular co-host Callum. I must say, one of the guys that have been with BTP from the very, very start, Magnificent Sidlow, needs no introduction from me. We'll talk to him, of course, about Spanish football and everything that's going on. Let me say hello to the two guys. Boys, how you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you? Doing good, Sid. Doing good. Sid, What's the mood like in Spain? Obviously, different conditions all over the world with this coronavirus. What's the mood like in Spain right now? Is there a feeling, there's a consensus that it's safe to resume football? Javier Tebas has said since in June there'll be football on every day. Are, are the Spanish people ready for it to come back? Is it safe to come back? What's the mood like in Spain right now? I mean, it's always difficult to, to, to give a kind of a, a, a single answer to something like that because, of course, you've got a situation in which there are some people who are uneasy about it coming back and there are some people who are quite vociferously uneasy about it coming back saying it shouldn't. But I, I, I think the immense majority of people want football back. Now, they know that it's not the way they want it to be. They don't want it to be an empty stadium. They don't want it to be without fans. Uh, you know, no one really wants in truth as well to be playing at this time of year with the kind of heat that's right. starting to build up as well in a lot of the country. But I, I think most people are, are, are really quite excited about it coming back. Or at the very least, pleased to get it back, not just for its own sake. And, you know, this is, I think, an important point. It's not just about the football itself coming back. It's about the football coming back and being a symbol, if you like, of a return to some degree of normality. Mm -hmm. Now, this phrase that Pedro Sánchez, the prime minister, used, this new normal. Now, we might not like the new normal very much, but it's certainly better than the current totally abnormal. You know, it's still a step in the right direction. And and he he was very positive in his address last Saturday, which is the one in which he said, you know, we can we can allow La Liga to come back from the week beginning the 8th of June, which we think means that games will start on the 11th of June with the Seville derby on the Thursday night, but we, that hasn't been confirmed yet. Uh, and he made, um, I mean, the whole speech was, was very optimistic. But I think probably the key line in it was when he said, you know, it's not just the light at the end of the tunnel we can see now, we are standing at the end of the tunnel now. You know, the worst is over. We're coming through this. Now, of course, there's a lot of, wood touching going on at this point and we hope that nothing goes wrong we hope that it doesn't reverse but the the, the figures are on a very very strong downward trend now much uh, much lower than they've been at any other time during the lockdown which of course they should be because we're nine weeks into this yeah um, but there, i think there is a degree of optimism now one of the things that interests me said um about football coming back is is the finances involved you've talked about the fact mm. that no club wants to play behind closed doors but that's the reality of the situation at the moment. Do you think this summer you're going to see teams like Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atleti having to sell fringe players at maybe reduced prices because of the lack of finance coming in from crowds? I don't know whether it will reach the point in which they sell during the summer for, to, to generate, if you like, money to recover what they've lost. I think it's more likely to be that they sell to generate the ability to continue to buy because otherwise mm. they, they simply can't do that. But in truth... Barcelona couldn't do that anyway. You know, there's, there's a reason why Neymar didn't come in the summer. There's a reason why they've been trying to find uh, somewhere to sell Sebeno, uh, Ivan Rakitic, uh, Arturo Vidal, and so on. And in terms of the overall impact of this, you know, this is why they're playing. Because, of course, there's already been a huge loss. And if you don't complete the season, you lose the biggest part of the whole package, which is, of course, the TV money. 
Uh, Javier Tebas has given us figures now. You know, I, I'm always slightly reluctant to say these figures purely at face value, but let me give you what he said. He said that if La Liga doesn't get completed, the loss to Spanish football as a whole will be around about a billion euros. If wow. the Spanish season is completed, but behind closed doors, the loss as a whole would be around about 300, 350 million euros. And if wow. Spanish football can somehow, by some miracle, get back and play with fans, well, what they've already lost is around about 150 million euros. Now, of course, this is across 42 clubs in the top two divisions in Spain. Uh, and, and it's very uneven which clubs get hit more. We've also seen that almost every club in Spain has been through some sort of wage reduction package, whether it's a, an agreed one with the players or whether it's using uh, uh, the kind of the Spanish equivalent to a furloughing scheme. It's not quite the same, but a Spanish equivalent to a furloughing scheme where, where of course, salaries are, are reduced for the period of the state of emergency, which is currently still in place, but, but hopefully won't be in the next two or three weeks. Um, so, so the impact has been gigantic. I think the impact um, is very concerning. And I think that the measure of it, yeah, one of the measures of it will be how active teams are in the, in the, summer, in the summer market. But I don't think that's going to be the only measure. Sid, you talked earlier about clubs needing to sell to buy, which is interesting, of course, which brings up all sorts of permutations with names that are constantly linked away from football clubs. One name I've seen recently uh, being linked to England is Sol Niguez from Atletico Madrid, fantastic football player. Is there a chance Atleti could also sell a player like Sol Niguez, possibly Manchester United or somewhere else? Well, look, I mean, my, my feeling with this is that what happened with Saul was that, that his buyout clause was raised, I believe, although I must confess, I don't know this off the top of my head, I think it was 80 million euros. Now, 80 million euros, of course, is a lot of money, but it's not the kind of um, buyout clause that means automatically people say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would argue that Saul has, I wouldn't say stagnated over the last couple of years, but he's played a lot out of position. I think there's been a slight sense of, of him finding his role in the team uh, kind of difficult to cut, to come by, you know, because he's, he's playing a role that helps others out, but he doesn't necessarily shine as much in that role as I think he might in other formations. I think there's been signs at times of frustration for him in terms of what that means for him individually. And yet at the same time, there's a kind of, a, a kind of pugnacious commitment to that. You know, he talks about the, 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 the compromises that, that he makes on his own game. He talks about the sacrifices he makes, and he, but he does it in a way that sounds quite proud. He sounds kind of quite, you know, he really sort of embraces Simeone's model or at least verbally embraces Simeone's model. At the same time, as I suspect, while he doesn't say it in quite the terms as quite as explicit as this, I suspect he thinks he's a victim of it. And I think he is, by the way, a victim of it. Um, So I think he's one of these players that inevitably there will be interested in him. I think the question mark will be what is Atletico's attitude at the point at which that happens? What is his attitude? And do Atletico... Um, you know, do they find a buyer who will pay the buyout clause? Because, of course, one of the other things that's always worth remembering about buyout clauses is that Spanish clubs use these in part as a get-out-of-jail-free card, as an excuse. Mm-hmm. So a player leaves on a buyout clause and they can say to the fans, look, there was nothing we could do. Which is one of the reasons, I mean, apart from the fact that it's usually a lot of money, but it's one of the reasons why Spanish clubs so often say, well, if you want him, pay the buyout clause. Because it's, it's not just about you know, getting a lot of money in for a player. It's about getting a lot of money in for a player and washing their hands of something that could be potentially seen as a big mistake if that player leaves, he's very popular with fans, and he leaves and he performs well somewhere else. It wouldn't be a summer transfer window without Gareth Bale and Real Madrid being a topic <laughs> of conversation. Is this the summer that Gareth will, will move on from Madrid or do you think it's going to be the same way it's been for a wee while now and, and just be played out in the press and probably not go anywhere? 
Well, I mean, I think the, the thing with Gareth Bale really will be about the the resolve of Bale, the resolve of Real Madrid, and also the, the, the possibility of him moving. Um, I mean, it is not an exaggeration to say that he was on the verge of going to China last summer um, because yeah. finally a deal was done that Real Madrid would accept, that Gareth Bale would accept in terms of the financial package, which, of course, was, was gigantic. And then what happened, of course, was that Real Madrid... Um, lost in the preseason to Atletico Madrid. The impact of that was was to make them worry, to make them worry about the possibility of letting a player this could go for free. And then the belief that, well, hang on, this is a Chinese club. They're going to have loads of money. Tell you what, we'll ask for some money. And of course, the whole deal had been put together on the grounds that the Chinese club wasn't going to pay a huge transfer fee for him, not least because I think it's 100% taxation on transfer fees in the Chinese club. So in other mm. words, you ask for 20 million, they've got to pay 40. And they're just not going to do that. Or at least they're not going to do that beyond a certain point. Real Madrid pushed it, um, the deal fell through, and Gareth stayed. So in terms of the question of does he leave this summer, I think there will be an attempt to make that happen. I think it is probably in everyone's interest for it to happen, but it will only happen in the right conditions and for the right amount of money for him, for Real Madrid, and, of course, for the right kind of exit strategy. And I don't think that Gareth Bale has a particular desire to leave to just anywhere. He certainly doesn't have a desire to just leave to anywhere. I don't even think he has a particular desire to go back to the Premier League. And so there's a bit of me that thinks, while the, if you like, the will is there to make this happen, I suspect that, much like last year, the logistics and the practicalities, the mechanics of it all, may well be missing. I want to ask you about Paul Pogba, Sid, because initially it was favoured that Juventus would, would, would bring him back there. They put a salary cap in place, which really only leaves... Spain or possibly PSG as a, as a destination for Paul Pogba, he apparently, apparently does want to leave. Is there a possibility that if Barcelona or Real Madrid clear their decks, that Paul Pogba could go to either one of them this summer? Well, it's very difficult to clear the decks in the first place. That, that's the that's mm-hmm. starting point for this. Um, I, I think that he's someone, of course, that Real Madrid have been interested in. He's someone that, that Zinedine Zidane pushed very hard to sign. Uh, and it was at club level that this didn't happen because he was too expensive. Yeah. Basically, because you know, I, I think we, I think we sometimes make the mistake, and I, I include all of us in this. By the way, I include myself in this of, of, of sort of assuming that if there's a player out there, Real Madrid and Barcelona can get them. In part, we make this mistake because quite often it feels like they can. Quite often, it feels like they can spend a whole load of money that they haven't got. And we all look at it and say, "Hang on, how did that happen?" But there is an economic reality, and that economic reality is um, increasingly difficult, even for clubs like Madrid and Barcelona, and and genuinely. Why did Pogba not go to Real Madrid? Because Madrid were not prepared to pay the kind of money that Manchester United were demanding for him, even with a manager who was saying to the club, I want this guy, and I only want this guy, and I don't want anyone else. But, of course, Real Madrid go into it, and not that price. Now, I suspect that if Pogba had been a player that the president had wanted as much as the manager at Real Madrid, then maybe it could have happened. But he didn't. There wasn't a strategic... um, kind of components to, to this deal. There was just a footballing one, and so it didn't happen. So could it happen now? Well, yes, in that Zidane would still want him. Yes, in that Real Madrid would have the money to pay for him. If, and this is a big if, and it's one that I don't know the, the you know, the, the, the kind of the evaluation placed on him, if Manchester United were prepared to help it happen. And I must admit, I, I, again, it's a little bit like we were saying with the bail deal. I feel like some of the mechanics may be missing, that it's not that easy to make this happen. Yeah. Another player that we have to ask you about, said, is Coutinho, Bayern Munich had the opportunity to, to buy him. That option has now expired. Is it looking likely that when he returns to Barcelona, he will stay there? 
Could another loan be on offer or a cut price deal back to the Premier League, for instance? Well, I mean, in, in a way, in a way, you know, we've got some of the some of the same mechanics going on as we had with, with the other ones we've we've talked about with, with Bale and Pogba and so on. Because of course Coutinho is, is possibly the perfect example of how over the last couple of years there's been such a rapid inflation of the market that actually some players have got a bit stuck. Because Coutinho yeah. is a player on too much money whose transfer fee costs too much for anyone to really be interested in him. No, clearly a very good footballer, but a footballer who it didn't really work at Barcelona and it didn't work well enough. And this is the key point here. It didn't work well enough at Bayern Munich for them to exercise their their option to buy him after a loan deal. So it, all, it tells you that Barcelona were already in a difficult position in terms of finding a, a place for him by the very fact that they had to accept a loan offer. You know, all right, a loan offer with an option to buy, but it wasn't an obligatory option to buy. In other words, Barcelona had to take the risk that Bayern Munich wouldn't want him. And now Bayern Munich haven't wanted him. So they're back in a situation now where they bring a player back who they couldn't quite find a place for in the side, who is uh, paid very, very well, who for them to get the kind of money that they think, okay, this is worth selling, probably means setting a price in truth beyond what most people will pay. And obviously with this market likely to be a depressed market off the back of the coronavirus crisis, um, even more so. And so I just wonder what Barcelona will, will, will think here. Now, they are desperate to offload players. They are desperate to save money. And they may well, as they did with the Bayern Munich loan, look at Coutinho and think, well, let's save the salary if nothing else. But the other really solution for them, is it? Yeah, and the other eye-water and dealer said is the, the Mbappé situation. Of course, they spent an absolute fortune on Dembele. Um, mm. c- conflicting reports as to who's to blame for his current situation. Some people say it's his yeah. attitude, his fitness, injuries, and what have you. Um, it, it, if, with Dembele, is it possible that they can that he still has a career at Barcelona? Will he move? And just another part of that question, rumours that Barcelona are looking to sell the naming rights to the new camp. Is that a possibility mm. as well? Well, see, I mean, I think with, with Dembélé, I mean, I, I personally would extend your question with Dembélé to Coutinho. I don't necessarily yeah. think it's impossible that Coutinho has a career to be built at Barcelona still. In fact, much as, much as um, this doesn't seem to be phrased like this by anyone, I think Coutinho has played better for Barcelona than Dembélé. And mm. yet he's the one that was pushed out. And one of the things that strikes me with Dembélé, and I, fundamentally I would say, you know, he's been desperately unlucky with injuries. I felt very sorry for him because there have been moments where you thought, okay, there's a really good player here. For what it's worth, I don't think he's necessarily a Barcelona-style player, but I also think we can get a bit too hung up on that whole idea of Barcelona-style because I think with the right manager, you can integrate him, you can give him a role. Um, but of course, the big thing with, with, with Dembélé is you look at this and this is three seasons now. Yeah. You know, this isn't a guy who we're still waiting for him to fulfill his potential at the end of the first season. It's three seasons. Now, who knows? He might come back and play really well between now and the end of the season. I doubt it, but, 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 but he might. Um, and so you look at it and you think, well, how do Barcelona rescue this? Because you put these two together, Coutinho and Dembélé, that's 300 million euros yeah, worth of player in terms of what they paid. And of course, that is the origin of this whole problem. The origin of this whole problem is that they sold Neymar for 222 million euros if they didn't want to. They were suddenly caught, and they were caught with a massive suitcase full of cash. Yeah. And they thought, what do we do? Uh, we spend it. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, I think at that point, I mean, I genuinely do think this, and, 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 and maybe it's a bit simplistic, but I think they would have been better signing no one. They would have been better saying, right, calm down. Mm-hmm. Don't run the risk of allowing that money to, to see you chase players that you don't really need and certainly not at that price. Now, of course... That theory is, stands up now three years later with hindsight. 
But if they had both played brilliantly, you might have thought, well, you know what? Actually, this was the right thing to do. But neither of them could they find a place for them for different reasons. And as I say, I would argue that Coutinho played better for Barcelona than Dembélé did. I would say that stylistically possibly fits better, but I don't think he was talented in terms of pure natural talent. Um, But Dembélé is a very difficult fit, and he's a very difficult fit partly because of attitude, partly because of teammates around him, partly because of style, and largely because of injury. And again, Barcelona must be looking at it thinking, if someone somewhere gave us an exit strategy for him, we would sell him. But of course, in both of those cases, in the case of all of their players, Ivan Rakitic, and, you know, Arturo Vidal, Nelson Semedo, all of these guys that are trying to sell, yeah, but of course, to sell people, you need someone to buy them. And the sad truth for Barcelona right now is there is no one out there who wants to buy all these players for this kind of money. Yeah, that's a very good point. And another player, not someone who I don't think will be transferred permanently, he's been on loan at Sociedad. Martin Odegaard said, do you think he could have a future at Real Madrid going forward? Because he was impressing on loan there. And with the market being reduced potentially this summer because of financial constraints, do you think there's a chance that, not for the remainder of the season because he'll still be Sociedad, but do you think next season he could beat Madrid and make an impact? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, for what it's worth, let, let's start with the basics. He is wonderful. He's a brilliant yeah. player. He's been absolutely fabulous this year. Um, and he's been fabulous in a slightly deeper role, admittedly with a bit of freedom that I must confess I doubt he would have in the Real Madrid lineup. A little bit more freedom than, than I think he'd have in the Madrid lineup. I think in the Madrid lineup, the chances are they'd want him to be one of the middle three, so in the moderate sort of position to perhaps to the right-hand side of the midfield three. Whereas at Real Sociedad, he's played deeper and he's been all over the pitch, but nominally, at least, he plays off the forward. And at Real Madrid, that position doesn't really exist. I mean, obviously, they could change it. It depends what the manager wants to do. But that, that natural position doesn't exist. And in a way, the situation with Erdegaard is, is really quite simple. As you say, he's on loan from Real Madrid. Real Madrid have the right to call him back. But it was a two-year loan. So, in theory, if no one does anything, he carries on at Real Sociedad next year. But Real Madrid do have the right to call him back. The difficulty there is that Erdegaard has said quite carefully, but also quite clearly, that he wants to stay for two years because he wants continuity. He wants to play. He wants to be in the team every week. And I kind of hope he does if Real Madrid don't have an absolutely clear idea of how they play him and where they play him, which, which obviously sometimes happens. You know, you see a really good player. So, right, bring him back. But yeah, but what do we do with him? And I think yeah. you're right. I think the depressed market would mean that they might well look at this and think, actually, you know what? We absolutely must bring him back now. And if they do, I just hope it's with a clear, clear roadmap for him because he's a brilliant, brilliant player. And I think it would be a real pit if he comes back and doesn't get regular regular games. The way he's playing, by the way, he deserves them. I mean, you know, he's playing well enough. Yeah. I, I genuinely think you look at Spanish football this year, and I think you would say, if you had to choose a top three, best three players in Spain this season, it's Messi, obviously, Casemiro and Erdegaard. I do think, I genuinely think he's in the best two or three players in Spain this season. It's incredible. So before you go, uh, just a quick, uh, I want to ask one quick question and then on the way out, let people know, because you do a podcast with Phil Kitchabidis as well, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yep. just ma- yeah, mention where people can podcast, find that. Which, which, which imaginatively enough covers Spanish football. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to ask you, what's the financial situation for the clubs at the bottom half of the table in Spain? Because as we know, these clubs are always very tightly run anyway. Um, are they in a precarious situation where they're possibly insolvent or being in a really dangerous situation? Uh, just let me know what you think of that. And then, of course, just mention where people can find your podcast. And thanks for your time, mate. 
Yeah, I mean, well, the, the situation is, as I said before, those figures that, that Tebas came out with of a, of a billion euros loss if they don't get the season finished, it looks now very much like they will get the season finished. I must say, actually, um, Tebas' his, uh, his, 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 his energy and his drive and his determination to get this done is the real reason why we're in this position. At times, it's been uncomfortable because at times he can be, you know, kind of overbearing and, and kind of a little bit belligerent, but he's really forced his through, so I think it will happen. And of course, one of the reasons he's done that is because he's been aware of the financial implications of not finishing the league. And as you, as you rightly asked, that goes well beyond the top teams. But curiously enough, we haven't yet been told of any clubs who think they're absolutely on the edge with the exception of Malaga in the second division. Mm. Now, Malaga were already in big, big trouble. Of course, they've had these, this um, big financial crisis, this big institutional crisis with a battle over the ownership of the club with Altani, who, who mm. of course, took over, what is it, six, maybe seven years ago now? I must admit, I, I, can't, I can't exactly tell you when it was. And so they're in a situation where they were already economically very, very vulnerable, and this has added to that. They are now going through a process of mass redundancies all the way across the club at every single level, and I think they may well go out of business. Now, hopefully what will happen if they do is what will happen actually to them in 1992 when they kind of officially went out of business. And within two weeks, they were reformed in the same stadium with the same name and basically carried on. Um, now, I suspect that someone will already be looking at that as a possibility, but they're in, they're in, in, in very significant danger. But beyond them, we haven't been told specifics yet of clubs that are teetering, uh, teetering on the edge, in part, I think, because of this uncertain about whether they would they would restart and of course that uncertainty changes everything because if they do get the season finished in theory at least clubs will get all of the tv money they're owed and at the lower end of the league while this might sound contradictory the tv money is a higher proportion of their income and so playing behind closed doors matters less and and things like marketing matters less the loss of visits to club museums and stuff matters less. So for a club like Leganes, for example, it's a very small club, and this week announced that next year season ticket holders will go for free. And you sort of think, well, how can a small club afford to do that? And of course, in part, the answer is because they're a small club. Because what the fans give them in terms of season ticket money is relatively small against the really big thing, which is that that TV money is still coming in if they go back despite playing in empty stadiums. And where can you find a point, Ted? Well, the podcast, you can find a podcast. Here comes the sales pitch. In all those places where you find great podcasts, very much, uh, you know, so on, on iTunes, on Acast, on SoundCloud, on all of those places. We, we've also, of course, got um, one of the podcasts is, is free to everyone on a Monday. And then there's a, there's a, there's a subscription podcast, which is on Patreon forward slash uh, patreon.com forward slash TSFP, the Spanish Football Podcast. We will put that in the bio. Said, mate, thank you so much for, for doing this. We're so, so grateful to have you on. You're unrivaled. You are fantastic. I'm grateful for everything you do. Uh, and keep up the great work. And hope to get hope to get you back again soon. Thanks, Sid. Yeah. Good stuff. Very much a pleasure. Take care. Cheers. Thank you.